Welcome to the Scale Up Valley podcast, where we bring the best of the best to help you scale your business from 1 million to 1 trillion. Today's guest is a very special one. Her name is Elizabeth Burstein, the co-founder and CEO at NeuroElf. Elizabeth, welcome to the show. Thank you. Excited to chat with you about uh, NeuroHealth and what we're doing for patients with chronic headache and migraine. Absolutely. I think as, I, as I've been sharing with you, I really love the model uh, for different reasons, namely because I've been, uh, and uh, the audience at this stage already knows, I've been diagnosed with an autoimmune condition. And uh, I really enjoy your business model and the developer position and the way uh, it supports Uh, patients and and doctors uh, in in the process but let's let's do a deep dive and get to know a little bit more about yourself and what happened before you decided to start up uh, NeuroHealth. Yeah so I was inspired to build NeuroHealth based on my own personal journey with chronic pain Um, over the past two years I've suffered from a complex uh, nerve entrapment And through that personal journey, I've seen over 40 specialists. I've had uh, over 10 different types of injections. I've had over seven uh, types of radiology exam. So navigating this has been incredibly challenging while balancing the demands of work life and personal life. Um, what I kind of willed to exist as I was going through the journey was a more convenient way to engage with my specialist on my chronic condition. And I started to think about the larger world of, you know, the millions of Americans and even just people across the world who are suffering from a chronic condition and really navigating the complexities of the healthcare system. I really kind of said, you know, we have all these amazing apps on our phone. We have Uber for on-demand rides. We right. have, you know, all these great food delivery apps, but, you know, healthcare is so far from being on demand, but I do think the consumer need is there particularly during COVID, when I started the company about seven or eight months into the pandemic, um, telehealth was skyrocketing, right? Patient adoption, because right. they were kind of forced to due to the restrictions of COVID of going to the doctor in person. And then on the provider side, I think providers, even though they had dabbled in telehealth before the pandemic, they really started to realize what it can do for them in terms of their own work-life balance, their ability to have flexible lifestyles and their ability to still drive patient outcomes, patient satisfaction, in some cases, even better outcomes than what's being provided in person due to right. reducing the accessibility barriers. So um, really reflecting on all of that, kind of the market dynamics, the massively underserved population in neurology of 160 million Americans, um, I saw a massive gap in the market. There's no competitor addressing the neurology space. There's so many different conditions within neurology from mm -hmm. chronic pain to migraine to various types of chronic headaches um, to epilepsy, right. Alzheimer's and beyond that, you know, I saw that it was one of the areas where there are virtually no companies building to serve this audience and they really deserve a better experience. So that's a bit of my founding story and um, yeah, excited to dive in. 
I'm sorry to to hear that, and I'm sure that you are uh, getting better. And uh, it's always great that you have um, transformed the threat into a, an opportunity to to support others facing the same problem that you are facing. And um, what is the big dream? So, what would you like to see in in the long term with Nera Elf? Uh, what what is kind of the legacy that you want to to leave with with Nera Elf? Yeah, so uh, my career has been in product before founding Nura. I was an early product manager at LinkedIn. And at LinkedIn, I learned a lot about being having clarity of mission and clarity of vision. So I learned a lot of this from our CEO and now chairman, Jeff Wiener, who's one of my investors, about, you know, the mission is really, you know, three to seven years, what are you going to make as a dent in terms of your, your impact? And the vision is really 10 years plus. It could take you know multiple decades to realize a vision. So for Nura, we spent time with, um, with that venture group, Next Play Ventures, really clarifying both the near-term mission and the long-term vision. So near-term, our mission is to improve access and quality of care for neurologic disease. But our longer-term vision is all about um, improving and helping find cures by learning from the experience of every neurology patient. So, you know, right now we're running a really robust chronic headache and migraine uh, clinic. It's in four states. So the vision there is, you know, take that national and expand into other neurological condition states like pain and epilepsy. And we already have a lot of patients coming to our site, uh, demanding you know, the same model for those services. So we want to expand to those service lines. And then on the commercial side, start to partner with hospitals and payers to really start to help them improve access uh, for a lot of the, the headache and neurology patients are sitting on really long wait lists, um, waiting six months just to get an appointment. So our broader vision is more that 10 plus years out And that has a lot to do with the data, right? The data that we're collecting on the platform is a literal gold mine. There is no other type of entity or platform or company that collects the symptoms data, the treatments data, and the outcomes data. Um, health systems and hospitals and clinics, you know, they have the treatment data, but they actually have no idea in many cases what their outcome is. They don't know, you know, where are all my patients today? Did they find relief? Um, what percent of my patients right. are fully relieved versus partially relieved? They can't really answer any of those questions because they don't have an engaging product that fills the gaps in between appointments and continues to engage the patient. So, That's really our broader vision is, you know, to take this data and work with pharma companies to help them accelerate cures. It's really incredible because it's super difficult when starting up and even when scaling up to have a very clear um, ICP. As there are, as you said, there are so many conditions, so many states to serve, so many patients. So it's really, really difficult to narrow down in the short term and also to connect the long term with the midterm and with, with the short term on what what is the problem that you want to solve and for whom you want to solve that uh, that problem and i really enjoy the clarity as you said the clarity of mission and vision and um, of the ones that you want to serve so is there any tips on how to be able to you know to be more objective early on on identifying what is the problem that we are trying to solve and what is the ICP uh, that you that we want to solve the problem for, let's say. <laughs> yeah, 
Yes. Yeah, so for clarifying the problem, so I have my own personal journey and I was inspired to improve it in many different ways, right? I was also thinking about, for example, support groups, because I spent a lot of time in Facebook groups right. with you know, people who have sports injuries, uh, Facebook mm-hmm. groups for complex regional pain syndrome. And I was actually getting a lot, getting more value from other patients I meet in those groups than from my own doctors. Um, And so I, you know, really started to see there's so many ways in which we can improve this healthcare experience. I think it's actually insane, right, that you get more value from meeting a stranger on the internet than going to a doctor, paying hundreds of dollars, uh, waiting months and months. And so I was also really inspired about that, you know, community products. Um, So I looked into, there was a period of three to four months where I was heavily researching all these different ideas that, you know, were kind of parts of the problem. There's many different aspects of healthcare, which are broken. And at the same time, I was thinking about business model. How do you actually, it's one thing to have an idea and a product, and it's another thing to have a viable business model, especially in healthcare where there's a complex um, you know, chain of how the dollars flow in the healthcare system. It's not like the patient just you know, pays for their healthcare. It's you have the insurance company, you have the employer. So you have to really understand that ecosystem to make sure that your business model makes sense. So that was right. you know, a big part of, of taking you know, dozens of ideas and kind of clarifying and narrowing it down to this one. Got it. And, and by the way, just to explain a little bit more, uh, what is the product? What is kind of the experience that um, a patient would um, would go through in order to when when they sign up for NeuroHealth? Yeah. So for NeuroHealth, it's a membership based model. So the the user journey is our patients, uh, mostly folks who are suffering from chronic headache and migraine, which is our first starter mm-hmm. condition. They go to our website, neurohealth.co, and they hit get started and they go through a pretty traditional onboarding process. Um, The relevant parameters we collect there are their state to make sure we're legally licensed to provide care in their state. And outside of the states where we do that, we offer our telehealth services nationally. Um, In the states where we don't offer um, prescriptions, we offer our services a second opinion. So from there, you know, users sign up for the membership. So what do they get with the membership? They get same or next day video visits with board certified neurologists, which is completely turning the problem on its head when you think about people you know, waiting six months to years now that they can you know, literally talk to a specialist the same day. And uh, beyond that, they get 24-7 uh, messaging ability to text with their dedicated care team. So the care team is three different stakeholders, um, three musketeers. So there's the, the <laughs> neurologist at the top, the care concierge, um, who's helping offload a lot of the administrative burden, so labs and scans and um, understanding the complexity of, of insurance. And then there's a care coach. So a care coach is a relatively newer provider type. Um, it's really important for chronic conditions because, you know, the the sad, you know, truth of, of, the, of the space is the specialists are really expensive. So no service can afford to have you talking to your specialist every day or every week. Right. And that's where having, you know, a different type of provider who can extend the provider's recommendations, like our care coaches help our patients really make meaningful lifestyle changes in areas like diet, stress, uh, mobility, 
So that's included in the Neuro membership. Patients can meet regularly with their care coach. And then for actual, you know, video visits, which, you know, we employ the neurologists, uh, patients can talk to the neurologists on video and get an actual diagnosis on treatment through telehealth. That's an additional uh, appointment fee. Um, some, depending on what the patient's insurance plan is, it can be cash pay or it can be a small copay. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the Neuro user journey in a nutshell. And so many of our patients are, you know, raving about the service, really kind of saying how this is really a, a major gap, you know, they've seen in their experience, they've been working with a neurologist for so many years, but the access is really frustrating. Uh, we also have some patients who literally have never met a neurologist because there is no neurologist in their zip code. And so we're attracting both types of uh, personas. Just asking, uh, just giving a step back and asking a question. So, how did you decide which which states to start uh, with? I'm, I assume there are a lot of digital health startups there. That uh, because of regulation, as what you said, and so on, uh, it's it's important to to start small uh, in order to not have too many variables uh, at the same time in terms of complexity, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's a great question. So we had a pretty rigorous prioritization exercise. We looked at the population of the state and what is the supply demand ratio of headache specialists. We looked at the speed to get our doctor licenses up and running, the clinic licenses up and running. Um, all those components take time and take money to get set up. So as a startup, you know, a, a month in a startup's life is like a year in a, in a <laughs> exactly. larger company. So Speed is, speed is really everything. So that was a big factor was, you know, starting in Florida, for example, because Florida is really fast to get telehealth licenses, to get clinical licenses. Um, we also looked at, you know, the income of the state because that does impact um, and correlate with early adoption of newer technology, right? This is a new care model. It's, it's not traditional. So um, we tend to attract, you know, patients from metros where there's kind of the mm -hmm a trend, right? An industry trend of adopting this, this new type of care. Got it. And, uh, and what were the states that you start, you started in one or already in, in four, or have you been um, expanding from one state to four uh, since you started? Yeah. So we started in Florida and then Got today it. we're in uh, fully licensed in Florida, Ohio, California, Pennsylvania, and then providing our service nationally as a second opinion outside of those four states. Uh, we're about to land Illinois and Texas in the coming weeks. Well, well done. Uh, and in terms of you, you're talking about the business model and clearly it's, it's a SaaS plus a consultation uh, fee, uh, right? That's kind of the, the summary of, of the business model. And part of that SaaS, you have the kind of the symptom uh, tracker is one of the main uh, components for this kind of chronic conditions to, to make the, also the, um, the sessions with, with the doctors a little bit easier because you are tracking uh, your symptoms uh, in real time, let's say, instead of trying to figure out what you felt uh, two weeks or three weeks ago. And in, in that sense, uh, what, what were kind of the symptoms that, how do you, did you prioritize the symptoms to track in, especially because sometimes these kind of conditions are not easy to measure and to really, you know, write down what we are feeling. For instance, uh, again, my example with autoimmune conditions, sometimes it's difficult to me to explain to my doctor what I'm feeling in different days, right? Yeah, for sure. 
Yeah. So this is an ongoing exercise and product prioritization, especially because our tracker goes really deep on all the different triggers. There could be food triggers. Humidity is a trigger. Um, Every patient is very unique. So there are some patients who have mint gum as a trigger, for example. And if we had included in our tracker, like every trigger known to mankind, it would be really difficult (laughs) to use. So um, we did a lot of work on user research and, you know, really robust surveys to understand, you know, how do we build this product in a way that's easy, easy to use for our target persona. And then for people who have very specific, like individual triggers, they can add them as a custom trigger to themselves. So that's kind of how we balance, you know, having this like huge laundry list of triggers and symptoms and auras. We we looked at the most common ones, and then for the ones that are unique to the individual, it's it's a custom built, a custom feature they can add. Yeah, great. So that I think that's one of the one of the issues sometimes. Even with these kind of conditions, we might feel a little bit overwhelmed and not even have the patience to write down what what we are feeling and feel a little bit confused, right? So it's. I think that's one of the challenges to to build that um, symptom tracker. It's is not a, an easy job uh, at all to make it patient and doctor friendly uh, simultaneously, and trying to automate as much as possible the information that we need to um, write down in, in let's say in the in the app. For sure, yeah, it's it's a really interesting product design problem. And I think that if you look in the app store, there's hundreds of, you know, failed trackers. And I think that's a testament to that. It's hard. It's easy to build, you know, some tracker, but it's hard to build a tracker that people actually use and that people actually use regularly. Um, So I think that is really where um, thorough product design, thorough research is really important. I know that you are very passionate about helping people with uh, chronic conditions and you are now focusing on um, the neurological uh, conditions, starting with uh, the headaches and uh, migraines, as you said. But um, what is your vision for the space? What are some of your ideas, uh, some of your tips for entrepreneurs or Simply any any kind of uh, ideas that you'd like to share with with the listeners today. Yeah, so I think that when you go into entrepreneurship, it's important to have a real problem, and then it's okay if it's a personal problem. But you know, jumping from personal problem to product is not enough. Like you really have to go and do several months of user research. So in my case, it involved talking to hundreds of neurologists, talking to hundreds of patients across each condition. Wow. So I started with friends and family and I you know, basically would get introductions to every single patient I could find with a neuro condition. And when that kind of dried up, I started to go to you know, basically random strangers on Facebook, chronic condition groups. And one of the interesting aspects of chronic illness as opposed to like episodic is the patients are really debilitated. So they have a very high need And they have a high willingness to talk to you about the condition. So if you're an entrepreneur building in the space, I do think spending time with chronic chronic condition patients is really important, really getting to know the target user and understanding the problem, and then kind of zooming out and looking at the data, whatever industry trends and market reports you can you can get your hands on. And I think it's really the synthesis of that, that 
um, you know, that robust exercise and validating the problem, the total addressable market, um, and also the competitive landscape, I think is really important to understand, you know, if there's already some products in the space, like why is your, what is, what about your solution is going to be better? Um, what is your true differentiation? And so, you know, walking into um, a pitch with all that information is going to be a lot more successful than coming in with, with some gaps in that. Absolutely. And I think one of the key components of, uh, of that slide deck that we need to build in order to raise an initial uh, round uh, is, of course, the, the founding team. I would say at the scale-up stage, it's the leadership team. At the startup stage, is is really the founding team because at that, at that stage, what we have is definitely a, a vision and some hypothesis. Uh, and the team is uh, is what offers some guarantee if they will be able to execute on on that vision or or not. So, what is the story of your founding team and the way you structured your founding team, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah, so I have one uh, co-founder. He's my co-founder and CTO. Um, his name is Samir Madan, and he and I were actually students together at Stanford University. We met back in two thousand nine in the computer science program. And we've been friends uh, for probably over the past decade. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he had come up on almost a decade at Facebook. And, you know, it was a couple months into the pandemic, we were catching up and we started to realize we have very overlapping passions in health and in making healthcare better and making fit. It was between health and fitness. We're both also very into um, fitness and athletics. Right. Um, so we looked at the two spaces. It seems like the fitness space was very saturated. There was a lot of <laughs> trainers who were, you know, laid off from their gyms and there were like 20 different companies trying to help these trainers, uh, provide training through Instagram. And, you know, it was, it was interesting, but we were, you know, over the course of several conversations, we realized we actually had both had, uh, difficult patient journeys. He had a spinal disectomy back at Stanford and he ended up flying to India to get the MRI and that whole entire experience with the MRI and the flight was cheaper than getting it at Stanford. So uh, we both had kind of this burning desire to improve the US healthcare system. And um, then it came down to our skill sets, right? That I had more of the product side, the business side. I had led teams of product managers and built product roadmaps. That's you know really what I've been focused on the past over 10 years. And at Facebook, Samir had built Facebook Live and launched so many impressive initiatives there. So mm-hmm. for us, you know, it was, it was really inspiring because you have two founders, um, very kind of heavy Silicon Valley product DNA moving into this completely uncharted territory. And we very quickly hired an incredible medical director to join us from NYU. He's a professor of headache medicine. Mm-hmm. He's our founding uh, founding physician, Dr. Thomas Burke. And he is a notorious headache neurologist. And he's also really empathetic and compassionate. And so when you read our reviews from you know patients who meet Dr. Burke, or even patients who meet another physician who's supervised by Dr. Burke, there's this unparalleled level of compassion and empathy. So you know, the founding team is like, me on product, Samir on engineering, and then Dr. Burke leading the clinical organization. And for us, that's been a really powerful combination. Love it. Uh, and usually 
there are also this kind of uh, issue about understanding when it when is the right moment to bring the chief medical officer uh, into into the founding team it's, if it should be early on or a little bit later um sometimes those those kind of um, profiles uh, are not so open to be part of a startup founding team but they would like, would like to endorse and be part of the an advisory role but not in a, in a daily basis at at the company so what are some of your tips there for founders who are thinking should we already have um, a chief medical officer since day one should it be part of the founding team or or should we uh, have just a uh, as a member of the advisory board, let's say, or um, so what, yeah. what are some of your tips there? Yeah, I think within, you know, digital health is a very wide, rich space. And there are digital health companies where I don't think it's necessary to bring the CMO on that early. However, you know, we are a care delivery service, like, you know, offering high quality healthcare services on telehealth is a big part of what we do. So Fair it's a, you know, it's a P0. Um, so reflecting on that, it was really important for us to have that clinical DNA to inform the tracker we were talking about and the product right. and, you know, who are the other physicians that we hire. Um, so for us, it was a very conscious decision to bring Dr. Tom Burke in really early. And there was a lot of overlapping passion. I think even when we met Dr. Burke, there was, you know, he had already been thinking a lot about how to improve access how to address this issue that, you know, the wait lists of patient is so long mm -hmm. and, you know, he was very passionate about technology and what it can do to drive efficiencies. So we had very aligned missions in what we wanted to accomplish. Got it. That is uh, really, really great. And, um, and in terms of the fundraising uh, lessons learned so far, uh, I know that you have been both in the investor side and also in the operator side for um, a long period in, in the tech industry and also in the digital health um, industry. Uh, what have been some of your lessons learned uh, raising your uh, initial uh, round? Yeah. So uh, we ended up raising 2.3 million uh, with ParaVC as our lead. And we had a lot of awesome other funds participate, such as Nextplay Ventures, which is Jeff Wiener's fund, the former CEO of LinkedIn. Uh, we also had participation from the Scout funds of Norwest Ventures, uh, Bessemer and Index, as well as some angel investors that we we're super excited about, like Nikhil Krishnan, uh, the health tech blogger, as well as um, actual neurologists, which is really, really uh, validating for us. So uh, in terms of advice reflecting on that round, so we actually raised on a pitch deck. Uh, I will say our pitch deck was pretty thorough in terms of summarizing a lot of the market research, the business case that we built on both the total addressable market, but also you know, our particular business model, we had done a lot of uh, forecasting and research and validation of, you know, various numbers and assumptions. So um, that was kind of the, the stage. I don't think there ever is like a perfect, you know, you have to have product, you have to have, um, you know, raising on a pitch deck. I think that, you know, for us, building a care delivery company is really capitally intensive, right? It is, probably not as capital intensive as opening up a physical clinic, <laughs> but right. there is still quite a lot of operational complexity. I would say it's not as 
simple as just building an app on the app store and marketing it or e-commerce. Um, so it does come with quite a lot of upfront costs in terms of hiring the physicians, paying for the licenses, getting all the clinical uh, entities set up and the associated legal fees. So for us, it was pretty quick once we decided, you know, this is the model we're we're going after. We're actually going to be running our own clinic. Um, It then very quickly, you know, made us realize we need to raise a good amount of capital to get this to market. And that was kind of why we decided to raise the pre-seed, you know, when we did. And um, I think it was a combination of starting out with our warm network, um, talking to a lot of neurologists um, to validate the idea and even getting some intros to a few neurologists who are participating in uh, in angel incubators and VC funds. So they have kind of this awareness of what's happening in the digital health space and spending a lot of time, you know, refining our pitch, really articulating, you know, what is the market opportunity? Why are we the best team to solve this problem? Got it. And, and this last round was already a, a seed or was this the pre-seed round? Uh, the this is our pre-seed round. This is the, the, the 2.3 million that you said is the, yeah. the pre-seed round. So that's, that's really an uh, amazing job. Well done. And to, and what do you think that you need to prove next in order to successfully uh, raise the the seed uh, the seed round? Yeah, so a big part of our focus now there's kind of three main dimensions. So the first is in the consumer side, going in network with health insurance companies. The second is um, enterprise. So we are actually partnering with a health system and working on working on improving their access. And uh, the third is, you know, there's there's a bunch of different metrics that investors are really diligent on. It can be annual recurring revenue. It can be the golden mm-hmm. ratio of lifetime value to CAC. It can be month over month growth. So uh, we spend a lot of time really thinking about our metrics and our growth plans and aligning, you know, those to our investor expectations. Right. Because it's also important now raising the seed rounds to understand what is the roadmap in order to be able to deliver the milestones that will be necessary to raise the, the, the A rounds. And there we might need to prove product market fit and uh, maybe in, in a SaaS uh, components, almost a 1 million uh, in ARR. So it would be a much more metric driven than vision driven as, as the previous uh, rounds, right? Exactly. Got it. Um, any any other tips on, on fundraising that you'd like to highlight um, for, for founders uh, according to your experience? I think the other piece here is yeah. thinking very carefully about the timeline of the fundraise. So, you know, we get a lot of investor outreach all the time and it's tempting because investors are so brilliant and they have such amazing exposure to all this innovation and ideas to talk to them, you know, all the time. And, um, you know, I worked on finding my own temptation to want to talk to investors all the time. And there, you know, was a period where we say, okay, we're not taking any more capital. Now we got to build, like we really got to focus on our build. So, um, you know, I learned in the beginning, I knew that was kind of a, uh, area of improvement, but I really had to rein it in. And I think that was, you know, if I were to give advice to myself starting out, it's like really carve out, like these are the few weeks where we're fundraising and then it's mm-hmm. done and move back to build. 
Whereas, you know, you can spend honestly, like all day having coffees with investors. Exactly. And that's, that's really fun. <laughs> but I do think like, it's important to really carve out, you know, this is my fundraise period. Now it's build time. Now it's fundraise time. Love it. So that, that one is really important because then the, it's really important to get things done and to execute in order also to be a good condition to have again those conversations with uh, with investors to to raise the next round and it's difficult to be doing everything at the same time in terms of focus uh, it is super super difficult uh, m- much easier said than than then i i admit right <laughs> Okay, cool. Uh, we we got into the last segment of uh, of the show, which is kind of quick questions and uh, and answers. Um, so, if you would have the opportunity uh, to have a coffee with with yourself at the beginning of Neuro Elf, what advice would you offer to your uh, younger self? This is an interesting one. So, you're saying advice with myself starting neuro not myself early okay exactly um, so imagine that you are uh, having a coffee with elizabeth really at, at the ideation stage where you were just coming out with the problem and you were thinking with your co-founder what could be the the idea the problem that we are solving and uh, doing the deep dive into the problem so at that stage you would have a conversation uh w- with that elizabeth um, yeah what advice would you offer to her Yeah. So I think one of the biggest learnings for me, which I would advise myself on is hiring in the seed stage is I think everyone knows it's really hard, but the more nuanced learning for me has been, uh, you know, you want to hire leaders, you want to hire top talent, you want to hire people who are passionate about your mission and also are able to both execute in the seed stage because they're not going to have, you know, teams under them yet but also be strategic. So it's a little bit of a unicorn <laughs> that you're, that you're finding. Exactly. Kind of <laughs> and, um, you know, one of the, uh, you know, early on, I was very picky with all these pieces. And then of course, there's another element here, which is you have to hire fast. And so right. I think reflecting on all of that, my learning is, you know, being really thoughtful of, do you need a full-time hire in, you know, in marketing, in, you know, engineering and product in operations and clinical. Um, and where can you, where is it actually better for you to hire, you know, a freelancer or a contractor? And I think it's really important to be thoughtful about that. You know, do you want like someone who's a really deep expert in like TikTok videos or TikTok ads versus hiring a generalist? So I think if I were to give advice to myself early on, it would be to, like really consider the pros cons of all those those dimensions and prioritize them because you're not going to have you're not going to find you know a, a perfect unicorn who's you know a strategic and execution oriented and deep on all these areas um so really prioritize you know what are the must-haves and what are the nice-to-haves great one and so what are you the most proud of on on your journey with Nira Elf so far So I'm most proud of our patient testimonials. Um, It is really heartwarming. You know, we get these testimonials, you know, different channels. It's like an unsolicited Facebook review or Google review or, um, you know, reviews on our NPS surveys. And it's people saying like, you literally changed my life. And, you know, they talk about 
where they were, you know, patients who had been going to Stanford Hospital for many, many years and working with a physician there and really articulating like why this is a better experience, why, you know, for example, with prior authorization, neurohealth is really fast. They really help, you know, reduce barriers to access by understanding all the nuances of how to get an expensive migraine drug prior authorized to get it to the consumer's hands faster and find them relief faster. So that is definitely what I'm most proud of is just hearing directly from patients, the, um, their own experience and how it compares to the status quo. Exactly. That's the, the purpose driven venture and uh, seeing the results of the impacts really uh, changing lives or improving lives. Right. So worst advice ever received. <laughs> <laughs> This is a fun one. I was reflecting on it. I would say it's more of a theme I'll, I'll share with extremes, right? Any advice, entrepreneurs are given advice all the time. And oftentimes I get incredibly extreme advice and it's often opposing. So one example you know, I was just talking about hiring is you'll hear from various advice. You got to hire senior people. You have to hire other leaders. And then you hear the opposite. Actually, you really got to hire someone who can execute. And you don't want to hire someone who's just been managing for the past 30 years and forgets how to execute. So there's a lot of these right. kind of paradoxes of advice exactly. that you get all the time as an entrepreneur. And so, you know, I think that that's kind of a theme I've been seeing in, you know, optimize for growth or optimize for profit. And so I think it's it's really important to take all the advice with a grain of salt, always kind of collect multiple data points and yep. don't, you know, just because you're going to have amazing people on your advisory board and investors, but at the same time, like you're the only one building this business. So you got to take all the advice with a grain of salt with, you know, understanding the context that people have or don't have. Absolutely. Great one. And uh, let's go into the more uh, funniest uh, segment, which is favorite book. My favorite book is Lean Startup, and I learned a lot. I read Lean Startup back when I was in venture at um, Wildcat Ventures, which spun out of more Davy Dow. And Lean Startup teaches a lot about shortening the cycle for learning and experimentation. And it really taught me a lot around thinking through like how to minimize the path to learning because we're, you know, seed stage, I would argue even series A in many cases is, a, you know, it's a learning phase. And so I think a lot about how do we craft our roadmap and our product features in a way where we're maximizing our learnings. Um, so for example, if you have, a, you know, let's say we're thinking about building support groups for patients and that, you know, takes quite a lot of effort to set up, to exactly. operate, to have the product. So rather than, you know, just going and rerouting all of our priorities to that, really thinking about like, what is a lightweight way I can understand demand for this feature before I go fully in. And so I think, you know, for us, even when we started Neuro, we did a lot of Red Door experiments. Red Door is basically you put up ads for an idea and see how many people click the ad is kind of like a test of demand. Got it. And um, Lean Startup is all about that kind of agile learning philosophy. Love it. And I love to the way you classify the, the seed stage as a, a learning phase, uh, kind of the search and, and learning phase. That's a great one. Favorite movie or series? Oh, this is a hard one. <laughs> um, 
My favorite movie is actually The Imitation Game. And it is a movie about a really influential person during uh, World War II and, you know, all the, uh, some of the discrimination that that person faced. So it's just a really inspiring movie um, in terms of, you know, perseverance and uh, what one individual can do to make a massive impact. Love it. And favorite podcast, excluding uh, Skillet Valley podcast, of course. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite podcast is The Skim. Um, so it is something I listen to almost every morning. And it's kind of a tie between The Skim and The New York Times Daily. I think as an mm -hmm. entrepreneur, you know, we're, we're super busy. So I really appreciate these podcasts that condense like really important information into easy to digest relevant summaries. Um, so yeah, I love those. Another one, which is, I have to mention is how I built this, uh, with Sky Roz. I, yeah. before I decided to become an entrepreneur, I spent a lot of time listening to that. And like some of the, the crazy stories from the founders of Rent the Runway and how persistent they had to be. <laughs> so, um, I found that to be really inspiring. Love it. Elizabeth, it, is, it was really, really uh, inspiring to have you on the show. Uh, thanks so much for making the time and you are always welcome to, to come back to share your progress with, with Nero Elf. Thank you. I really appreciate you having me. And uh, for any listeners that want to try our product, it's a chronic headache and migraine membership. Um, I'll give you a promo. It's called Scale Up Valley 15 to get uh, $15 off the membership. And I'll, I'll pop it into our uh, conversation as well. Thank you so much. Thank you, uh, Elizabeth, for uh, also making it available to, to our community. And uh, for you, as you see, we keep bringing you the best of the best to make your life a little bit easier uh, scaling up your, your company. See you soon and keep scaling.